Well, I'm from Ward 8. I'm from Ward 8, and Ward 8 has a history, especially after the 1980s, of concentrated poverty, over 30%. Given contemporary, about 2000s, you still have 80% of the people in Ward 8 who rent and 20% of the people who own their homes. And that inequality, even within the ward, separates people. And on my day-to-day, because I did not go to the local high school, I went to McKinley Technology High School, which is across town, I could see how people perceive and receive me because I went to McKinley and they did not know that I lived in Ward 8 and how they would talk about Ward 8 as is basically a developing nation or a third, to use language that is no longer popular, but a third world country as if we were back people. Often, we overlook the power of young people to create change. Yes to Youth is a podcast series getting to know changemakers who started early and are making a real impact, in spite of and often because of their age and identity. Yes to Youth is presented by Let's Care in collaboration with LearnServe International, which equips high school students from diverse backgrounds with the entrepreneurial vision, tenacity, confidence, and leadership skills needed to tackle social challenges at home and abroad. I'm your host, Matt Scott. My name is Quentin Horton. I am a native Washingtonian, and I've been involved with LearnServe over the years, because it's been over a decade, so I'll just say over the years. How would you introduce yourself today? I would say that I am very much a nerd who connects to people through politics and art. Because one of the things I've learned about art and one of the things I learned about politics is that people can be very guarded. And the best way to get to know people without making them feel too vulnerable is to get to know their interests. And one of my main interests is how art and politics merge and how that conversation between art and politics really gauges and informs our opinion. So if I had to introduce myself today, it was like, hi, my name is Quentin Horton. I am a nerd beltway who loves politics and art. Yeah, just going back, I know that all ties in with your learn serve venture and what you're saying around helping people feel comfortable is so important to me. It's something that I do all the time in my interviews. And I know it's something that that you also do within your work. But just to start out truly, um, I want to ask the question that LearnServe asks when they begin with students over the course of each and every year. And that question is, what pisses you off? Ooh, I got to laugh a little bit because it's such a loaded question as you mature and you do the work. What pisses me off now is seeing people who have the drive, the focus, and the dedication to social work, but are undervalued. So I really get pissed off when I see people who opposers. And I use that language. I know it's kind of strong, but I use the language opposers because some people want the title and the status, but not the work. But there's a lot of people who do the work who don't get the attention. So that's what pisses me off about that. What pisses me off, what pissed me off when I started learning serve around, well, it was known as Center for International Education at Washington International School then. What pissed me off then was that students from different parts of the district, Maryland, Virginia area, especially public, private, and charter schools, weren't able to communicate with each other. So there were a lot of stories about one sector of the city or one part of the city, 
that would not reach in the other part of the city. So it pissed me off that people had these assumptions about people. Thinking about your, your venture and what you created there, how was that addressing the problem of what pissed you off and what you shared? Hilarious. Because I think of Wendy, she was a Canadian that was in America then. Venture was cross-current because DC, you have the Potomac and you have the Anacostia River, east of the river, west of the river. These are very how landmark things. So, and they, they also characterize how people view each other. So what cross-current goal was to take high school students inside of journalism and have them write an article about what's going on in their school to different schools and have the paper circulated throughout the different schools to address the assumptions that people had that would lead to stereotypes that kept people in the beltway from each other. What was it that you saw, though, like in your day-to-day -day life at the time that motivated you to start the venture? Well, I'm from Wardy. I'm from Wardy, and Wardy has a history, especially after the 1980s, of concentrated poverty, over 30%. Given contemporary, about 2000s, you still have 80% of the people in Wardy who rent and 20% of the people who own their homes. And that inequality, even within the ward, separates people. And on my day-to-day, -day, because I did not go to the local high school, I went to McKinley Technology High School, which is across town, I could see how people perceived and received me because I went to McKinley and they did not know that I lived in Ward 8 and how they would talk about Ward 8 as is basically a developing nation or a third, to use language that is no longer popular, but a third world country as if we were back people. And I had to challenge that because it made me really upset that because people who are constantly and forcibly to live in poverty are excluded from spaces because they don't have the language skills, they may not be exposed to the same things that I was exposed to, don't have the opportunities to grow. So one of the things that I really am driven for, and now I encapsulate all of that in social capital, enrich the social capital that I'm around. Because day to day, I would see people who had professional jobs do their best to avoid those who had service-based jobs. And it's it's powerful because not everyone has that lens into different worlds. You know, in learning about your work, I would definitely say because of that or because of your experience, one of your superpowers has been that cross-cultural communication and cross-cultural interaction. But I, I would love to know how you go from or how you went from this this problem and this this struggle when it comes to not being understood, being undervalued, being avoided, as you said, to becoming what I would say is really an expert in cross-cultural interactions in your in your life. Because that was quite generous. And I think the compliment. I will have to reference Nipsey Hussle a little bit when he talks about the marathon and going through all the emotions. You, I went from being very excited to being discouraged and a, a bit angry because you get to a point where it's like, okay, I'm going to do better. I'm going to make it quite clear that people from Ward 8, given the opportunities, given the chances to grow, can grow. And so I went from that, this, we were thinking about 17, 18 I'm not afraid to reveal my age. I'm 30, 31 this year. And that trajectory, I focused on social capital. I focused on people who have three qualities that I like to point out. Self-awareness, a spirit of collaboration and cooperation. And when you look for those things, 
race falls, sex falls, ethnicity falls to the side. It is never mm-hmm. removed. It falls to the side in the sense of those who are willing to be dedicated to the work will bring their baggage with them or their stories with them to enrich the work. And in Washington, it'd be hard to do because social economics really divides this city, not only just location-wise, but also in our minds and who we associate with, who we don't associate with, and what we can, what information we consume. Yeah. One thing, just in terms of what you were sharing and looking at people with really an open mind, that's how I'd sum up what you were saying, is really looking, really beyond looking skin deep at people, what you talked about is going deeper with people and accepting them for who they are and interacting with them for who they are. One one thing I love about your background is that you spent time working at the Holocaust Museum here in D.C. And, you know, I have I, I've spent a lot of time learning about the Holocaust and about just the experience of survivors. And, you know, I myself was motivated in part to do these interviews that I do after having a conversation with a survivor one day at the museum. I went up to the little table where you could have a conversation and, and 20 minutes later, we were both crying and kind of like bonding over over this meaningful moment we had together, me and and Martin Weiss, who was the survivor who I met. But I, I want to ask you, how have those impactful conversations motivated you or affected you? Because I mean, I know that one conversation for me was a lot, but you spent time in the Holocaust Museum in this place where, again, on the surface, people might look at you, they might look at me and say, we don't belong in the Holocaust Museum. What do you, why do you care about this? And so I want to know what was that like for you and how did that impact your journey? I'm glad you, you I'm, I'm so happy that you bring up being the only person in the space, but it was a person like us. His name yeah. is James Fleming. I went there in this 10th grade. I didn't want to go. And being a nerd, a history nerd, James heard me talk about World War II and made me part of the program. And so being in that space, because when you were talking about, it came in my head, a hall of witness, where you had the glass above you, then you had the stairs and everything else. From 15 to about, I'll say a good 23. I spent my summers there. I spent a lot of volunteer time there. I'm I'm sorry, it's just so impactful because I haven't thought about it in a while. Mm-hmm. That experience shaped how I view history and how I view community. Because when you learn about the main exhibit from 1945 on down to, I mean, from 1933 to liberation, you really learn the impact of being a neighbor that cares. And when you meet survivors, survivors in their stories, not only when they survived during the Holocaust, but how they changed and transformed after the experience to continue to have a life. It makes it so that when I go through hardships, to be embittered is to be juvenile, to Mm -hmm. be honest. Having that experience for me, embittered by a negative experience is juvenile to me because there's a lot of people who have experienced atrocities, lived through atrocities, lived to understand the value of the narrative, to share that with other people that don't look like them, who aren't direct descendants of them, to say that there's a human narrative in the Holocaust. Although we focus on the six million people who cherished and the five million others, there were humans. They are humans. And if you're unable to see the human narrative of the Holocaust, 
that I don't think people really truly understand the power of being a citizen. Are there any interactions that stand out to you? Before hearing that answer, I want to tell you, yes you, the Yes to Youth podcast listeners, more about why I personally love LearnServe. I volunteered with LearnServe since 2015, and the thing that's kept me involved and that's inspired me most about LearnServe is that LearnServe knows that young people have something powerful to contribute, and it helps them tap into that real-world superpower. My organization, Let's Care, is all about passing the mic to those who often go unheard in social change, and LearnServe does just that. If you believe in passing the mic, I'd encourage you to visit learn-serve.org to support. Again, that's learn-serve.org. There you can donate, whether your money or time. And in fact, on Thursday, April 29th at 7 p.m. Eastern, LearnServe is hosting its virtual gala with the theme, a theme I love, of the courage to change. And you can be part of it. Learn more at learn-serve.org. But now, back to the episode. Are there any interactions that stand out to you? Yes, I have to bring up the Bring the Lessons Home program, or BHLH, as we know, the ambassadors. You get to learn another group of people who are around your age, the same age, other people who went through the program, who are guiding you through presenting information to people. Because you're doing a tour, we were trained to tour the main exhibit and the special exhibits when they come. But in training the tour, you learn how to guide people, you learn how to present information, you learn how information to receive, you learn how to read people. And the moment came to me, or the moments, because I spent so much time there, the moments that are most impactful is when we found time to laugh yeah. with amongst each other within the Holocaust Museum. And one of the things that a lot of I have gotten over the years is how could you be this so depressing? It's like once you have a history like this above you all the time, it kind of tempers your ego. You got to temper your ego in the sense of I can't be too big headed. I can't be too into myself because if I'm too into myself, then I'm self-centered. I'm made, I got a huge ego and I'm unapproachable. That's nothing you want to do when you're trying to connect to people. And when you try to connect to people, it's a lot more about listening. It really is about listening. So I would, I can't give you a moment because I spent so many years there, but just that whole experience is learning the power of listening and observing. You know, part of what comes to mind too is that, again, to your earlier point, we don't often, we don't see people as humans. We might see them in this one-dimensional lens and we might put a title on them or associate them with an organization or job title, but there's a lot more nuance to that. I know, you know, you've you've done work uh, beyond that, of course, beyond mm-hmm. the, the Holocaust Museum in a lot of spaces. But thinking about the work that you you did at the Holocaust Museum, the work that you've done since for the DC government with Institute for Education, I want to know, like, how do you see what you learned at LearnServe informing like where you've been and how you've navigated those different spaces since then? What I love about LearnServe is that LearnServe gathers very motivated people, highly skilled people who enrich other people. Like what I learned through LearnServe is social capital can do what money cannot. 
and going through working inside of the, my short tenure inside of the mayor's office, which I call my capstone experience with Washington, is that it's all about who is dedicated and who is focused that will get the job done. And that's what I learned through LearnServe. Out of the years of being around LearnServe and being with Institute for Education is that you, you go through a lot of people who are talented. You meet a lot of people who are talented. You meet a lot of people who are dedicated. But then you also meet a lot of people who like the pageantry of Washington, who also like the part of Washington where it's more about title and it's more about status than it is about getting things done. And what I love about LearnServe is that LearnServe focuses and drills down on the social issue and who's dedicated to the social issue. And that has helped me navigate when I'm going through different rooms, when I'm in different spaces and having different conversations. So again, tune into the things that people bring up in conversation, tune into the things people do outside of their work, and tune into ways that people see those around them. Because one of the best things about LearnServe is that it's not just about you, it's always a team. It's always a team. And that team builds a community. And that's one of the main things that I look for when I go through different spaces, like who is a community player? Who's a community builder? Who is looking not just for themselves, but others? Who understands by extending freedoms to other people, they also extend their freedom. And that's a real nice pocket. Because I is, again, I think about it like a quarterback now, like it's, it's a nice pocket to deliver a message from. It's like, this is where I'm going to deliver this message from. And I hope it comes from good faith. Yeah, you speak so highly, learn, serve. And I think that if anyone's listening, it's no surprise that you're still involved in learn, serve, that you're the fellows cohort leader. Could you talk about just what it is that draws you to learn, serve? Because for me, I mean, I've been involved as a volunteer for six years now, right? But you had a much different experience where you went through the program a while back as a student and you've you've lived life since and you are engaged in in LearnServe, which I think is kind of mind-blowing because a lot of us will, you know, we don't have these long-term relationships with organizations, especially like I'm 28. So we're we're millennials and millennials are known for moving on. What is it for you that keeps you involved with with LearnServe? Again, going back, I have to say as a Washingtonian, having so many different opportunities for so long for me is that I call myself a beltway brat and I mean that in the nicest way possible is that within the Beltway, there are so many different institutions. There's so many different opportunities that one can take on that are not here, that if you are taking advantage of them, people are willing to give you the opportunity, provided it's an unpaid opportunity sometimes. But what keeps me coming back, (laughs) yeah, budgets is a whole different thing, but what keeps me coming back to LearnServe is that I have had experiences, to your point, outside of LearnServe. And when you go outside of LearnServe, you see how hard it is to find that spirit of collaboration and cooperation. You see how how hard it is to find people who come from environments where they understand competition, they understand how competition can be negative and be detrimental to people. But LearnServe always has an energy of empowering, renewing, refreshing, because I really do believe LearnServe understands burnout that comes with social activism. I really do believe that Learn and Serve community understands what it means to be rejected and constantly mm-hmm. rejected. And so when people come to Learn and Serve, it's a space in which you can kind of breathe and have conversations yeah. 
that you can't necessarily have in places because you can be vulnerable in that space. If your life were a book or documentary, what would the title be and why? It's funny because I actually wrote a book. I'm thinking it's so hard because there's so many books that I love. That is a tough question. If I had to say anything, it's The Bird's Perch. That would be the name of the book, The Bird's Perch. Because a lot of my life is me being observant. Although I participate in a lot of things, I observe a lot more than I participate because I'm a naturally shy person. And my vision would be to have people to have a bird's eye view and a bird's perspective of Washington. Because there's a lot of gates that birds and squirrels can cross that people cannot. Mm-hmm. And if you can have or overhear some of those conversations, it will kind of help shape which direction you want to fly in, which direction you want to go in, and where you decide to nest. Because my life has really been so peculiar in the sense of I have been given access to people in a way that race does not characterize my thinking. Sometimes to the detriment of me, because it's like, when am I experiencing someone's like you're experiencing racism? They're not used to this. But on a grand scale, much like a crow, it's easy to sit and watch and observe, not through racial dynamics, but through the dynamics of human behavior. And that will be my life story or my vision that people can see through human behavior. Yeah, I actually have a follow-up question to that because it's mm-hmm. so powerful and I love how you shared that. And I'll just say like the the artist in you and the art junkie in you really stands out through all of that. But I wonder for you personally, how do you see people beyond the surface in a world that might look at you and only see you on the surface? This is a question I have a lot. I like to use medical, physical conceits all the time. I'm a big fan of metaphors because images yeah. help me to understand. And recently getting into yoga to kind of focus my mind, I call it lotus pose because it's my challenge to myself whenever I feel like the world around me is getting a little chaotic to focus on the lotus pose. And it's coming from the lotus flower in a sense that the lotus flower had petals had these properties that allow the swamp beneath them to not taint who they are. But the lotus is also nurtured by the swamp beneath it. So I may not necessarily take on what someone is saying about me or take on what my environment is doing, but I'm nurtured by it. So the way I see deeper into people is, and it's like, I recently told a friend that the reading is a way of listening with your eyes and listening is a way of seeing with your ears. So a lot of ways is just reading people and listening to them not necessarily what they want you to believe, but how they actually act. Because for me, words are credit and your action pays that debt. And that's how I see deeper into people, having those ongoing conversations with them, learning about them, and then seeing how they engage with me and asking those clarifying questions of, what is your frame of reference for this action? What is your frame of reference for this? What is your frame of reference for that? And that's when I learned that my unique thing is I'm naturally curious about people. And so people will kind of open up because they're not used to having someone being so curious about who they are. How could people connect with you? Where could they learn more about you? I know that you wrote a book, so maybe you could talk about that a little bit so that we could all pick that up. They can keep up with me on Instagram at inquisitive underscore Q. Also working as a staff writer at thegildedsages.com 
where you can see my white papers that discuss a lot of the intra-cultural issues that we face as Black Americans, as an African diaspora as a whole. And also you can keep up with me through the Learn Self community. But the book itself, it kind of is a great way to wrap up this interview. Before I had a, a space or this opportunity to kind of talk about my story, I struggled with identity. Because when, when you go from Ward 3 to Ward 8, often there's a vast different worldview. So the name of the book, I haven't released it yet, but the name of the book is Black Sounds, The Self-Portrait. And it really focuses on a two protagonists who come from two different backgrounds, but they try to reconcile their differences through what brings them together is that they have a great friendship and they have a romantic interest, but their lives and the trajectory of their lives pulls them apart. And so the battle between who they were told to be and who they want to be and who they want to be to each other kind of brings out some tensions within the Black community. Well, this is powerful. And I'm I'm excited for you to not only publish that book, but one day publish your own book or documentary or whatever that looks like, because more people definitely need to know your story. But just as we wrap up, I want to actually give you the chance to share any advice that you have for other people when it comes to making an impact. First, I want to begin. Thank you, Matt, for this opportunity. I really do appreciate it. And that really leads into my advice. Lean into people who give you the space. Find the people who are willing to give you the space to grow. Reach like a leaf to those people who offer the warmth of you being vulnerable and you being fallible. So they're able to take your mistakes and make them a learning moment. So when you are, as I've learned a lot of people in this space are hard on themselves, when you are hard on yourself, Take someone else's voice and let them be the wind beneath your wings. Thank you for listening to the Yes to Youth podcast presented by Let's Care in collaboration with LearnServe International. If you have a story to share or a perspective to share about a LearnServe venture or learning that resonates with you, just go to the show notes or visit anchor.fm slash yes to youth slash message. Again, that's anchor.fm slash yes to youth slash message to record a voicemail of your own. It might just end up on the podcast and we'd love to hear from you. Thank you again for listening and until next time, keep impacting.